listening to the CD Baby. CD Baby. CD Baby. DIY Musician Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the CD Baby DIY Musician Podcast. My name is Kevin Bruner, your host for the show, and today you're going to hear from Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR. Ariel and her company have been working with independent artists for years, helping them better use social tools and their story to build an audience. Ariel is also an author and has written several books like The Popular Music Success in Nine Weeks and other books like Cyber PR for Musicians. But with so much changing in social media marketing these days, I figured it's time to have Ariel back and to discuss just what all the change means to artists and how they market their music. So let's get to my interview with Ariel. Well, joining me is Ariel Hyatt of Cyber PR, and you're also an author. And it's been you were on the podcast years ago. Years. It's I think you might have been on it the first year we did the podcast, and it's been a while. And a lot of change has changed in the social space. A lot has changed with some of the things you've been working on. So why don't you catch us up to speed, and then we can just start talking. Alrighty. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> and I'm Hey, we don't just invite anybody back I, it's either. True. No, it's true. <laughs> I, I know this and I appreciate this. Catch you up. So the last couple of years especially, I think, have been it's not just from a marketing standpoint, it's from a all over the industry standpoint confusing for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you go to any kind of conference or even get on the phone with an artist and there's sort of this giant question mark hanging over all of us, which is basically, what do I do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, my business is digital marketing, digital strategy, helping our artists really build meaningful communities online, helping them with social media. That keeps changing. Mm-hmm. So my team at Cyber PR, we are constantly looking towards, you know, what is I hate to say the moving the needle. What mm-hmm. is moving the needle? What is making an impact? What is working? Um, and I think the the jumping off point is what is not working is believing that you need a million views or a million hits or a hundred thousand fans on Facebook. I think with the way that media has gone recently with YouTube having the million views club and these numbers that get wildly publicized, we begin to think that we're not doing it right if we don't have just mind numbing numbers. Mm -hmm. And the truth is what I find is you don't need mind numbing numbers. You just need a fan base that likes you and appreciates you and wants to come with you on your journey. And the numbers are not what you should be focusing on. Mm -hmm. And what I see with, with so many clients and sort of in the catch me up part of this conversation is just talking people down off the ledge of, you don't need to buy into that to have connection and success for your music. Yeah. I know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a big, uh, social marketing guy, especially Twitter says that, you know, a lot of times people will, will, will look at their numbers and be like, oh, I only have 50 followers, but you don't know who those 50 people are. And, and just the idea of that, 
somehow that number provides some sort of magic connection. If you're not connecting with those 50 people and they're not true fans, it's probably going to be the same case with no matter how many people you have. Yeah, that's true. I mean, do you ever go to a really great dinner party and then come home and go, there were only six people? (laughs) (laughs) You you don't think that way. You think, you know, I went and it was really interesting because I sat next to whoever I sat next to and made a true connection or Mm -hmm. had a really interesting conversation. And that's how you should think about social media. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So you and I were talking yesterday and I think we started talking about um, Facebook and and just I know from at CD Baby, we hear a lot of artists being frustrated with with what they should do online and how much time they should spend online. And and our conversation about Facebook was how they keep changing how things work. And Mm. and so a lot of artists get just frustrated and want to throw in the towel. What what uh, advice do you have for those folks? It is really frustrating. It's frustrating for us as an agency because the minute we figure something out, we're like, okay, we're going to do this. They change the rules again. So keep in mind with not just Facebook, probably with Twitter coming down the pike and with all social media that you don't own that is monetized through public, Mm -hmm. you are not in control. And that's what Facebook has really really roundly reminded us Mm -hmm. of, especially in recent months. They just keep changing the rules. They've basically made it so no one sees your posts organically. Mm -hmm. It's basically an extortionist (laughs) move. Um, And we don't like this. And I can can, uh, validate what you're saying in that for CD Baby, we have a strong Facebook presence and it tells you how many people are seeing your posts and we saw that number just plummet to nothing. Yeah. It like disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, and I've, every artist I sit with is like, well, I have 10,000 fans and three people like every post. This sucks. Yeah. You know? So, okay, this is here to stay. It's not going to change. They're not going to suddenly give us back access to our community. So you need to then get smarter. For years, I've been the girl saying you need to have a newsletter, you need to have a, you know email addresses in your own control. Artists don't like to hear that, um, but that's still the proven way. So for those of you that have put a lot of effort and attention into Facebook, do not abandon ship. You obviously still have some fans there, but you maybe should try to strategize. How do I get people off of Facebook? How do I capture the email addresses of these people? Um, I just learned about how to really use something called custom audience, which is a very interesting um, Facebook tool that you can use, which will give you some targeted results where you import your email list and they can then serve ads directly to people that are already interested in you. Mm -hmm. That might be a more effective way of using Facebook. Um, I've spoken to countless artists and labels that have been paying for promoted posts, and they give me the feedback that they're not, even when they pay, seeing any kind of results that they think are worth much. We've pretty much had to resort to that as well. Yeah, we all have. You know, If you want anyone to see it, you have to pay for it. And then... So what? Someone saw a post. What did it do? Did they take an action? Did you? What was your result from it? And I think that's always what you want to keep in mind. We are not all using marketing and social media, you know, for our egos. We're using it as a vehicle to connect with people and to get paid. And so you have to think in those terms. So I know a lot of artists will, and I could throw myself into this this camp, like, you kind of get in a rut with kind of what you're doing online as far as trying to market your music. 
And uh, so what, are, are there anything that's any ideas or things that you've been doing with artists as far as like creating interesting connections, interesting content ideas or things that seem to be working? Um, I can tell you what I see online from a lot of artists is definitely not working is then they're just constantly saying, buy my music, buy my music. And it's like, I just want art. Don't can't understand why artists don't learn that that just doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah, I think that the frustration kicks in when you do that. Yeah. You know, you're you you feel like I've worked so hard to make this piece of art. This is an expression of me. You've spent time, money, energy putting this thing out and then you want people to just buy it. And unfortunately, that's not how it works. Um, what we do and what the strategy at Cyber PR has always been is we're really content marketers. So the dirty little secret about us always has been, yes, obviously we're promoting and working with musicians, but we're not promoting and working always only exclusively with the music. Yeah. We're looking at the whole musician. What's the story? What is interesting and unique and special about the artist that maybe it's in the music, probably it comes through somewhere in, in the music, but are you political? Are you a parent? Are you committed to a cause that you spend some time with? Are you a teacher? Do you do yoga? Are you vegan? Are you gay? Are you, there's a million things that have niche audiences built around them online. And we find that when we can tap into those little niches and then put our artists onto blogs and into communities where people are interested in anything from gluten-free lifestyle to running marathons. If you're the artist, you become the shark in the sea of tuna on that platform, mm -hmm. as opposed to being yet another CD that got reviewed or yet another piece of music that's not standing out. Yeah. So we try to identify what's your story, how can we tell it in an interesting and captivating way, and then what pockets of people are out there that would be interested in your story and then in your music. So mm -hmm. human and story first, music second. Do you guys have a process with artists that you do to kind of help draw out that story from an artist? We do, and that is what Cyber PR is. It's about we basically create a really large intake form. We call it the foundations document. And when you sign up to work with us, we send it. It takes a few hours to go through it. It really makes you think about who influences you. What do you sound like? What are your niches? What are your genres? Um, you know, who is your core audience? Do you even know that? Are they guys? Are they girls? Are they, how old are they? These are things that we don't really stop to think about, especially if we're on the treadmill of making music, releasing music, making music, mm -hmm. releasing music, putting out, you know, whatever it is, I got to do my tour. Now I got to do my art. Now I got to do my, so who actually cares? And then going after more of the people that care and focusing less on the people that don't. Mm -hmm. So, I see that a strategy for most is like shout into the void and pray that someone connects. <laughs> um, and that doesn't ever work. But if you speak into the void and the void has a connection point to someone that you actually can relate to, then you've got something. Yeah. Artists are funny and, and uh, we happen to be sitting in Hollywood right now where right down the street there'll be a ton of hip hop artists handing out CDs to people. And I've just always wondered is this enough of them are doing it. Did that ever work at one time? Or is it just something that is just 
I don't know. It seems like artists tend to gravitate towards things for unknown reasons that feel like they're just spinning their wheels and not really making a connection with anyone. Because I'm walking down the street and they hand me that and I'm like, I had no interest. I don't even know who you are. I'm trying to just go over to this building over here. Why are you <laughs> handing me a CD right. with and trying to corner me into taking your your album? It, it just it I, artists never cease to amaze me with what they'll try. Yeah, I, I mean they probably read somewhere that that works or maybe that worked for one person. But again, I think when I got into the industry, which was now 22 years ago, there was much more of a formula that worked. Um, there was still a record label system. People were still buying albums in ways that they don't anymore. And there was a blueprint and yeah. you, you could follow it, not to the letter, but if you followed it well enough, you would have some success. Mm-hmm. And that that's done. So it's really, it's not the fault of artists. It's, it's like a brain issue. It's like your brain doesn't compute m- sales and marketing. It only computes art and making art and so a lot of logic seems to go away (laughs) (laughs) you know and this isn't our fault like we're not born Uh, you know I started my business and I just wanted to be around musicians I just wanted to like listen to music all day Mm -hmm. that was what my motivation for starting my company was like wouldn't it be great if I could just listen to music all day and call that work (laughs) and then I could go out and see music all night and call that work and then about five years in when I was pretty much starving I realized, okay, my passion's here, but there's a lot about business that I don't seem to understand. Mm -hmm. So if I would like to make money at this, I'm going to have to figure out what part have I not figured out. Mm -hmm. And this was a, it's not, it's a humbling journey for all of us to, to really look at ourselves and go, okay, something isn't working. A lot of times for artists, it's, if no one's connecting to the music, you need to really ask yourself, is it them or is it you? Mm-hmm. And this is like, like a, the ugly part. <laughs> yeah. like I don't want to look at myself and go, yeah. it's me. But when, when you can do that with clarity, sales and marketing is learnable. Mm-hmm. Unlike God-given music talent. Mm-hmm. Musical talent, not learnable. Tweakable, honable, <laughs> yes. But sales and marketing, there's a million books. There's a lot of people that can teach you, help you, coach you. There's podcasts. There's endless amount of free material to read online. You really don't have any excuse. Sales is learnable. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're interested, then that's where you start. And then I think there's the other part of this equation, which is just because you make music and you're passionate about it and you like it doesn't mean you have to monetarily profit from Mm -hmm. it. I think about if you're really passionate about anything, like for example, golf, Golfers don't get mad when they don't profit from playing golf. It's their passion. They travel. They like it. It's enjoyable for whatever reason. I don't know anything about golf, but I'm using this as an example because I recently read an article. um, I was in an airplane magazine that said that the average golfer spends about $10,000 a year on golf, traveling, buying the stuff. So maybe your music is your golf. Maybe it can be totally okay for you to make your music, share it with a few people, do it because you love to do it, and stop being attached to promoting it and marketing it and selling yeah. it and doing all the things that you don't like anyway. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's another kind of question you yeah. can ask yourself. Yeah. My theory on that is that uh, having gone through it myself, but um, times might be a little different now, is that 
you know, when I started music, it was like people kind of go, I even had an uncle tell me, oh, you're just going to waste your life <laughs> pursuing music. I don't think those were his exact words, right. but he's like, you're not going to make any money. And, and, you know, part of me is thinking, well, that's not necessarily why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love it. Right. I feel like I have to. And there's a trade-off I'm making in life. If I want, if I'm just pursuing money, I would be, you know, there's far more lucrative, yeah, far more lucrative careers out there. (laughs) But at the same time, um, you know, wanting to sustain it and make a career. But I think, uh, I think when I started music, it was this kind of stigma that you needed that validation in order to prove that it was okay. And so I know that part of the motivation for artists is wanting that validation that this is a worthwhile pursuit in my life, and it's not just something that. where golf is more of a hobby. It's like, this is who I am. Even though I've seen some golfers where is golf is in their DNA. Yeah. Totally. So, but you know, I think with artists, the, 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 the struggle is they want that experience to be repeatable and without the, the, it being sort of your job, then it's, it's hard to continue to do music and sustain it without it. the revenue coming online of at course. some point. And then, and then please remember that it's a shape shifter. I'm not, I'm not suggesting everyone is a hobbyist, by the way. I am just saying that I think I've seen a lot of people like push and push and push and force and force and force. And then if they get real with themselves, they go, oh, I don't want to. It takes. It's a lot of work. It's yeah. a lot of work to figure out the formula, which will change anyway. Um, and you've got to have the stamina to to go the distance. Like mm-hmm. that's just the truth about making it in music today. It's totally doable. I have seen artists that figured it out. Many, many artists that have figured it out and are continuing to figure it out. It will never. That will never die. That, yeah. that figuring it out will never stop. You just have to figure out what is tolerable and bearable and actually enjoyable for you. Because if the marketing and the promotion and the social media and all of that stuff is so awful, it's going to soul suck you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Which I've, uh, have met quite a few artists lately who have kind of landed in that place. And, and typically what I tell them is like, look, you know, I know there's a lot of voices out there will say, you've got to be everywhere. You got to be doing all these things. And at the end of the day, if you hate all of it, that you're not going to do any of them well and no one's going to be engaged with you on those platforms anyway. So I, you know, find the places where you do feel a connection. And if, you know, ultimately you need to be working on your craft and get better as a musician. And, but then you do have to figure out, okay, now I've got this thing. I think it's really cool. You got to figure out a way to, to let people know about it. For sure. And then figure out, you know, not only that, there's so many places where you can let people know about mm-hmm. it. And maybe your place isn't in a mainstream way at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Um, well, you've got a new book coming out soon. We I should do. talk about that. I do. Um, it's called crowd start on fans, fears and funding. Um, and I crowdfunded to raise the money to help write it. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Um, and, I crowdsourced the title of the book. Um, I just actually met here in LA, John Rezin, who's the guy that came up with the title. He's a producer here. And um, I got to give him a check for for joining my Twitter contest to name my book. So it's been really fun to um, involve a crowd to make a book Mm -hmm. about crowdfunding. (laughs) Um, What the book is about is it's about 
the the feeling that I it, it all came out of I was going to just make a book much like Music Success in Nine Weeks, which is my book that seemed the little book that keeps going after all it these years. It keeps giving. It does. It keeps <laughs> giving, which I love. Um, I wanted a process book, you know, a 30 day guide. Mm hmm to really help artists through the process of what it takes, how many emails should you send, how many times should you reach out to people, and I created a roadmap, so it's definitely a step-by-step -step guide. But as I reflected on my own crowdfunding campaign, which was horrifying, I realized, as also I coached a lot of artists through their own crowdfunding, crowdfunding is a wonderful thing, it's, it's amazing when you succeed at it, but it is, wildly confronting to ask the world for money, mm -hmm. your world. Um, and any one of us that tries to do crowdfunding probably knows what I'm talking about, where the little voice inside your head that the little voice you need to quiet on a normal day anyway, <laughs> it starts acting up when you begin to crowdfund. And my experience with this, aside from the sheer terror I felt when I recorded my crowdfunding video to ask for the money, then to go through the 30 days and to consistently keep your energy up, consistently be okay with everything that comes your way. All the haters come out, all the people that love you come out, and then a lot of nothing in between comes out. And it's about keeping yourself motivated to get through the 30 days and shutting the little voice up. I call it little nasty in the book. Um, we talk about how to make little nasty be quiet so that you can achieve what you want. And also we talk about the, the reality of crowdfunding. Just because you want $10,000 or you want $20,000, you might not have enough fans in your community yet to get that kind yeah. of money. So being really reasonable and honest before you start your campaign so you don't set yourself up for yeah. A disaster. Yeah, I have to say, uh, one of the bands I've been a part of, we crowdfunded um, part of the album, and it was it was a sprint to the finish. It, it was the hardest thing I've done in music, I think. Yeah. As far as, yeah, it's, it's, it's like launching a campaign. And, um, you know, I work in marketing for CD Baby, so I understand some of that world, but I think a lot of people, like, hit make the campaign go live and not realize what they just unleashed. And if they want success, it's not just email everybody once and then right. watch the money roll in. No. It's, you got to get out there and shake hands and kiss babies. Yep. And that's how you get it done. Totally. And I mean, I remember just a couple of weeks ago, a guy called my office and he was in the middle of his campaign and it wasn't going well. And I said, well, you got to pick up the phone and call some friends. He said, I will, I will not, I will not call anyone. And I was like, okay, good luck, dude. Like not everybody's going to see your email. Not everybody's going to see your Facebook. Everybody does want to help. It's, yeah. it's true, yeah. but people are busy. And yeah. I mean, people still email me. It's a year later. They're like, Oh, I didn't know you did a crowdfunding campaign. I'm like, really? <laughs> I shouted it from every rooftop for 30 straight days. I, you know, but if, you know, of course not everyone's paying attention to us all the time. Yeah. Um, so it, it's true. It's a lot. And there's a lot you don't think about that goes into it. And it's not just as easy as go to Indiegogo, go to Kickstarter, go to Pledge, go to Rocket Hub, put your stuff up. It's about it's about the weeks leading up to it that it, the, that are the prep weeks. Yeah. And then it's about, you know, what's predictable in hum, human life is once every three or four months we experience a crisis, a mini crisis, and hopefully not a massive one. Your health the health of someone in your family, a financial crisis, even a little setback like your engine in your car dies. Yeah. You know, that's a financial 
issue. Yeah. So in the middle of a 30-day campaign, it is possible that you could have a crisis which could derail you from focusing all your attention on making your goal. So I talk a little bit about that too, which is how to make sure that you are fully focused and you get get to the end because you want to not only get to the finish line, but go over it. Well, that's interesting. I look forward to seeing it because uh, I, I know that we've had uh, Brian from Rocket Hub on the podcast before and and he talked a lot about the mechanics of crowdfunding, and, and that was about a year and a half ago or two years. It's been a while, and uh, so the, that whole world has evolved a little bit as well. But I, I, I think that when when I did, that was one of the biggest pieces that was missing. The whole kind of like this is how to prepare yourself <laughs> and mentally yeah. because it's not it's it's different than it looks when you're looking on Kickstarter and you see oh these people just put this campaign up and instantly had all this cash and you're just kind of thinking oh this is so easy but there's a lot more behind it occasionally i'm sure there's some projects that just have some natural word of mouth most of them seem to be like these little tech gadgets that are or video games video games yeah and (sighs) yeah but still you know as an artist you want to ensure success not just roll the dice so it's very important so well cool when when is that book coming out um my deadline is june 20th 20 where are we now 2014 Yes. So hope to a couple months from now. Okay. Well, excellent. Well, um, I know we need to wrap up in a few minutes, uh, but if, uh, you know, there's an artist listening to the podcast that really hasn't engaged with social media yet, hasn't really started marketing and it's kind of seen there, where should I start? What, what's a couple good starting points for them? I think you said something earlier, which is that you don't have to focus on everything. And there's a lot of overwhelm that will happen to you if you think, I need to be on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and YouTube and, oh, Instagram. And now I have to have a newsletter and I have to blog. And I, you'll go nuts. Mm-hmm. So my first piece of advice, it's like, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> Pick the one platform that you resonate with. If it's Facebook, which I hope it isn't because they suck <laughs> because they're making us pay for everything, so be it. There but, goes our Facebook sponsor. Right. Sorry. No, I don't mean that. I just mean that it's going to be a bit challenging because of the pay to play. But pick one like a Twitter or YouTube. If you're good at videos, pick Instagram. If you're visual and you enjoy taking photos, do something that makes you at least feel slightly inspired and turned on as opposed to full of dread Mm -hmm. and go with that one first and stick with it. I would say if you're just launching or even if you've been using social media for quite some time, Do a little experiment where you don't self-promote or self-market at all and try that for two months. Mm -hmm. It's going to be weird if you are inclined not to do that. Just try listening and helping and sharing really good stuff as opposed to worrying, overly worrying about I didn't sell anything, I didn't promote, I didn't Mm -hmm. market my stuff. Of course, if you have a show or whatever, you want to talk about it. But try the opposite try just sharing. Here's a great photo I found. Here's a hilarious video I like. Here's an article that really touched me. Here's a recipe that I cooked for myself or my family last night. Here's, you know, a wonderful meme that made me laugh or a video that inspired me because it's a TED talk. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be directly related to your music. Just share content. There's so much of it out there. You don't have to make your own content to share and start with that. Mm -hmm. That would be my jumping off point. And then for those of you that don't have a newsletter, get a newsletter (laughs) now. 
use host baby, use their newsletter service. It's wonderful. Use whatever other service you want to use. But even if you're like, I don't have any fans, start by adding your friends, ask them if you can add them to your newsletter and begin the habit of once a month, send something and don't sell, share, say something funny, share a video. It doesn't ha- don't go nuts with it, but just get into the habit of it because this is where you're going to see some payoff in the end. Yeah. And I, I say it all the time, but in the social world, a lot of people think that that email no longer has any impact, but that's so wrong. And it actually has far more impact. I mean, uh, and it's very important that you connect with people that way, especially if you're trying to crowdfund. Yes, especially right. that. Yeah. <laughs> and for anything, yes. you know, I mean, people, people are overwhelmed in their inboxes, which is why you need to be consistent. But you think they're overwhelmed in their inboxes. They're even more overwhelmed on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, cool. Well, um, where can people find out more about what you're doing and Come to the blog. I've written over 200 articles exclusively for musicians to help understand anything you could want to look up is pretty much there at cyberprmusic.com. Find me on Twitter at cyberpr. Come say hi. That's the place to find me. And um, if you're interested in what we do, our books, our services, everything is there on the site. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast if you have any questions or comments feel free to email us at podcast at cdbabypodcast.com or you can call our listener line at 360-524-2209 you can leave a message there just try and keep it brief i think it cuts you off after about two minutes but uh if you want to weigh in on a topic we'd love to play your message on the show you can also follow cd baby on twitter we're at cd baby or You can follow me. I'm at Kay Bruner. And uh, we have more episodes on the way. So uh, we'll catch you soon. Bye.